You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. New series today. We are in the book of Joshua. And can I just say that it is a breath of fresh air to be like, bam, let's get into a book of the Bible and just unpack this thing. It's only nine weeks. But At least for nine weeks, the book of Joshua, this is an amazing historic account of, I'm going to get to that. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's it's awesome. This year is like a a year of sequels, okay? We did Exodus. We're now in Joshua, okay? Coming up later in the year, we've done 1 Corinthians. We're going to do 2 Corinthians, but we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. New series today, we start the book of Joshua. If you are someone who over the last season of life has felt that life has been pretty rough, Uh, if if, if you feel that it's been trying, that it's been a trial, maybe right now you are tired, uh, you are just holding on, you are looking for strength, you are wanting hope and you're asking, what about those things that I've heard and I've read about the God of the Bible? Are they worth trusting my life? If that's you, I've got good news. Joshua is for you. Or maybe you are someone that has entrusted your life to the way of Jesus. You'd say, yes, I believe Jesus is my king. I believe he's my rescuer. I'm seeking to follow him. But what does that look like right now? How do I navigate life with this direction? How, where am I going to find guidance? Where is the victory and the peace and the purpose that I've been led to expect? 
If that's you, I've got good news. Welcome to the book of Joshua. Or maybe you're someone that is uh, still not convinced yet of this way of Jesus. You're still investigating. It's so great that you're here with us today to exploring the person and work of Jesus. Yes, you can come in too. Maybe you're asking, what would life look like for me if I committed to not forging my own path in life, but trusted in God's path? If that's you, I've got good news. Welcome to the book of Joshua. The story of Joshua is a case study of what happens when people take their next step in their trust in God after experiencing salvation given to them by God. Joshua is a front row seat in seeing how faithful obedience to a faithful God plays out in the real world. Joshua is a historic prophetic, pointed book of history that sees people move from being oppressed to being blessed. It sees people that move from being slaves to being soldiers. It sees a people who move from being victims to being victors. It's amazing. I genuinely, excitedly look forward to journeying with you in the book of Joshua, as we approach the cross at Easter. So today is Joshua 1, and today I have the honour of introducing this book to you all. Uh, So I want to give you a bit of a heads up as to how our next few minutes will be structured. Uh, Our path is going to go ahead in sort of two chunks. One of the difficulties of the start of a series is you want to give a big overview of the book. So we're going to do that. And then we want to have a look at how we want to be engaging in this text well over the next nine weeks as we read it on a Sunday and as you continue to read it for yourselves at home and in your gospel communities. Uh, For note takers, our our overview, our headings are going to be, we're going to look at the story's context, we're going to look at its characters and its shape. We're going to see some confronting truths that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. And we're going to see, well, I want to say, notice from the outset, some key themes. And then we'll move to reading Joshua well, and we'll we'll conclude today with how God's people started in the book today. So let's start, number one, the story's context. The book of Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible uh, as you read it through from the start of the cover. Uh, And it's a really important link in the chain of events of what's happening in the development of God's people. You open your Bible to page one and you get to the first book of the history of God's people. You get to Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11 is the origination of God's people. The origination, Genesis 12 to 50, the rest is the election of God's people. You see that in how God chooses Abraham and he gives him these promises. He says, I want you to have a generation. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have land. And then we see Exodus. Exodus is the redemption of God's people because it hasn't gone well for God's people by then, has it? If there's an exodus that had to be drawn out and needed saving from something, haven't they? So there's been the origination, the election, the redemption, and then between Exodus and Joshua, there's been Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Three whole books that go through the sanctification, the direction, and the instruction of God's people. It's basically like, all right, guys, 
saving you out of Egypt, Exodus. And now we've got to dedicate like three whole books to be like, now this is what it's going to look like being my people. And then Joshua is the possession by the people as they enter into the promised land that God said that was coming to them. The book of Joshua is a call to trust in God's provision and guidance in the face of opposition and uncertainty from D.A. Carson. The book of Joshua is its kind of like when God's people are just like finally getting it right after four whole books of the Bible, 14 chapters to get liberated out of Exodus and then three and a half books for them to figure out what new life looks like. So that's the story's context. You then go to the story's characters. Now, there are four characters that you want to keep in mind as we read through the book of Joshua. The obvious character is Joshua. (laughs) Joshua. Now, what's Joshua's backstory? Well, uh, fun fact, Joshua is one of uh, of the million people to leave Egypt from the Exodus. Um, But there's only two of them, him and Caleb, that actually get to walk into the promised land. So he's one of the only ones that gets to see that exit and then go in. Uh, Joshua, fun fact, he's also the one of that fun dad joke, you know, uh, you know who was the guy in the Bible that had no parents? Joshua, son of none. You know, <laughs> awkward. Um, but Joshua, Joshua, look, it's okay to have a man crush on Joshua. Joshua is a warrior. The first appearance that we see of Joshua is back in Exodus, 6, Exodus 17. He appears as the one who leads God's people in the battle that happens between God's people and the Amalekites after their exodus out of Egypt. You know the battle where Moses is on the mountain? He's just like, I got to do these ones or we're not winning. And they're just like, quick, prop his arms up because if his arms come down, we're not winning. So Joshua is the guy on the ground leading the army, winning the battle. Joshua is a warrior. But Joshua also has God's protective hand on him. We see that in, Joshua, uh, that in Exodus 24, Joshua, he's the servant of Moses and he was the one who got to go with Moses halfway up the burning, smoking, fire-filled mountain of God's presence. And Joshua was actually spared from the golden calf incident in that moment. So God's hand, protective hand is on him. We see in Numbers 16, our next appearance of Joshua, is he's cool and calculated. He's a bit of a ninja. He's one of the 12 spies that gets sent to suss out the promised land. And he's, he's one of the only two that come back. And he's like, yeah, man, so good. It's awesome. We have seen some grapes. The grapes are on a massive pole. They're amazing. So he's cool and calculated. And then in Deuteronomy, we see that Joshua is trustworthy. He is appointed as one of the individuals by Moses to lead the people. He's trustworthy. And Joshua, he's also God's chosen leader. We read at the start of this, of our reading just now, uh, that Moses has died. Joshua has effectively been Moses' 2IC for the whole time coming through the wilderness. And he's had some pretty good relational, community-driven discipleship underneath Moses. And God's hand has been on him. And it's just like, all right, Next in line, the one to succeed Moses is Joshua. Then there's obvious character number two. I wonder if you know who that is. It's God. It's God. 
God, the Bible is the Jesus book. It's God's self-revelation. I really should have put God as number one, but, you know, you're all thinking Joshua because of the name. So anyway, sorry, God. God, what is God's backstory? Well, God, he's more than a warrior. He's more than cool and calculated. He's more than trustworthy. He's more than a chosen leader. God, we see at the start of this narrative so far, and even just these first six books, God is communal. He exists in community as Trinity. Let us make man in our image, God says. God, he's a creative. He creates. He started the Bible by creating the world and the universe and everything that you see around it. God, his backstory, and we know now he's beautiful. Creation reveals that to us. Love reveals that to us. So much we can look around and all that is good, come, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is beautiful. God is purposeful. His creation, he makes Adam and Eve. And he just doesn't leave them there. He gives them a job. He's like, this is going to be good for you guys. You want to cultivate the garden and I'll be with you. He's purposeful. He's also loving. His creation, a beautiful expression of his wonderful Love, Adam and Eve together in the garden, with him walking in the garden. There's this relationship. And God, he's also merciful, isn't he? Merciful. Because in that loving relationship, Adam and Eve, they really didn't keep their side of the agreement, did they? They disobeyed. They rebelled. Something that God said, and if you eat of the fruit, surely you will die. He does spare them. He's merciful, provides clothes for them, gives them a second chance and makes promises that this is not how the story is going to end. But God, he's still just. Despite the obedience from disobedience from Adam and Eve, God doesn't sweep their sin under the rug, does he? He's still just. He will still take care of sin. He will still punish what needs to be punished. And what else do we know about God's backstory? He's faithful. By this point, he's demonstrated all of the above. And he's now also made promises by halfway through the book of Genesis to a man named Abraham. He's like, you know the original plan? You know, Adam and Eve starting it out. We're on a trajectory, garden to a holy city, a family to a nation. Abraham, all right, next, okay, let's, let's keep this plan going. You're going to have generations. You're going to be blessed and you're going to have land. God is faithful to his first promises. And God, if you haven't picked it by now, by creation of the world and creating Adam and Eve and everything else he's already done, God is powerful. If you missed it, you, by the time you get to the book of Exodus, you're like, okay, yeah, okay, the, the plague thing, that's, that's impressive, God. You know, okay, that's, that's amazing. You know, the liberation out of Israel, the, 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 just taking Pharaoh down and making him look like a little whingy baby boy. God is powerful. And we also see that God is patient, patient with his people, patient with his plan, patient with his will, patient with you and me. He's patient. God's awesome. And this is all just the first six books of the Bible. And if you haven't been there to read it or see it, God also lets you hear it when he introduces himself, doesn't he? Exodus 34, if by this stage you haven't got it, God introduces himself and he has introduced himself to Moses and Moses would have told Joshua about this experience. Moses would have been like, Josh, 
I heard about how good God is. He told me. He put me in the cleft of the rock and he walked past and he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but by whom will by no means clear, clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children on the third and fourth generation. All of that, God's beauty, his mercy, his justice, his love, his faithfulness expressed in God's self-revelation. God is the main character in this story. Two more. Who are our two other characters that we see in the book of Joshua? We have those who are recognised as God's people and those that aren't recognised as God's people. Those that are recognised as God's people, Israel, and those that are not Israel. They're difference. What is the difference between these two categories or these two characters? Well, there's three key ones we can look at. We've got their origin. We have God's people, Israel. There's a strong family lineage. They are the ones who are from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there are those that aren't from God's people. They're offshoots from all of the defectors. And then we have a key differences in their religion or what our maybe our common day language would be our life guide or our coaches for today. Their way that they decide to live life. God's people have a clear submission and a service to the one true God, Yahweh. And then those that aren't God's people, they just have a conglomeration of a pick and mix of whatever gods or leaders seem convenient to them at the time. And then another key difference is in their culture or their social structure or what today they might call their lifestyle. God's people, Israel, they are committed to following the clearly defined guidelines given by God. The laws that mean protection, inclusion and flourishing. They're committed to that. That's the way that they choose to live and rule their life. And then there are those that aren't God's people. Just make up your own laws, man. Do what you want. You be you. YOLO. It's all, you know, just base it off the wisdom of the day. That's trending. I'm going to base my entire life around that. Good way to live. No, that's just not, not at this church. Yeah. Uh, it is starting to sprinkle to rain, uh, starting to sprinkle. If you do need to run away, um, that's okay. Um, no, no hard feelings. If you need to just bunch up under a gazebo or all jump in one car, that is totally fine. Mine is the grey van. You can probably fit five people on the double bed in the back to watch this engaging church, nothing else. You surf coasters. Fan life. Yeah, we know what that means. The story's context, the story's characters. Okay, now think, just a comment on the characters. We've got the two that are God's people and not God's people. Worth saying here, what led to this distinction? God's people, not God's people. Was Israel more faithful? Were they a better looking, higher investment yield option from God's perspective? No. Exodus 33, we read, God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And Deuteronomy 7 gives us a little bit more context as it speaks of the Lord your God chose them, God's people, to be a people for his treasured possession. 
his treasured possession out of all the peoples are on the face of the earth. It was not because they were more in number than any of the other people of the land that the Lord set his love on them and chose them, for they were the fewest of peoples, the outcasts. The, who are these? It was because the Lord loves them and is keeping an oath that he swore to their fathers. God makes the distinction. So Joshua, that's some of the context. They're the four key characters. Essential to keep those characters in mind as you consume at the pages of Joshua. But more on that in weeks to come. Now, what about the story's shape? Well, if Joshua were a theatre play, there's four main acts. Chapters 1 to 5 are when the people enter into the land. Chapters 5 to 12 are when they conquer the land. And chapters 13 to 22 are when they inhabit the land. And then 23 to 24 are when the people recommit themselves to the one who gave them the land. In a nutshell, it's a story shaped around God's people triumphing when they put their trust and their faith and their belief in God's leadership. And when we say God's leadership, we mean not only what God himself does, but the leaders whom he appoints. Just like when we might hear the leadership of this church. It, of course, is God, but there's also people that God appoints. Martin Luther says, the book of Joshua teaches us about the importance of obedience and faith in God's plan. Now, for the observant, this is really cool. The book of Joshua, in terms of its shape, it actually is the shape of the Christian life. It's actually the shape of the Christian life. We see that it's, it's a backstory is the one of Exodus, the physical liberation out of Egypt, or which is uh, pointing us to the spiritual liberation out of our sin. We have this teaching and guiding of what God says is right and good and true in the lead up. And then there is the entering. So that is God's people, Christians today, entering the kingdom by the leadership of Jesus, the conquering the enemy under the leadership of Jesus. And then the inhabiting, living out and continuing to take ground in the new life God has given us, this promised land, through the example of Jesus. And day by day, fourth act, always recommitting our lives to the leadership of Jesus. But more on that in weeks to come. So that's context, characters, shape. What about some of the confronting truths? What are some of the confronting truths? The book of Joshua, it has much to challenge the modern reader. Some of these challenges are simply an apparent just misunderstanding that can be easily untangled with a right contextual reading of the text. Keep that in mind. Sometimes it isn't what it seems when you just look at the story in full. Some of these challenges, though, uh, they, are, they are more complex and they tend to stem from a modern mind that has conveniently sidelined much of the doctrines of God's holiness, God's communal call on his people and God's justice. Really important for us to acknowledge the air that we breathe this day 
of an individualized secular culture of very different values. And that will shape the way you read this text. I do not doubt that every one of you will, at times, when you are reading through this historical account, that you will at some point, you'll raise an eyebrow and question the character of God. And hey, it's okay. It's okay to have questions. God is big enough and good enough and loving enough to patiently listen and engage with your questions. But don't just stop when you feel uncomfortable. Don't be someone who is controlled by feeling or preference or ignorance is bliss. Let us as a church seek, seek truth and the Holy Spirit's guidance. Because we're going to come across passages like in Joshua 6. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction. Both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep and donkeys, donkeys with the edge of the sword. We're going to come to passages like Joshua 10. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God commanded. We are going to lean into those complexities. Ignorance is not bliss. See, I want us to, because I'm confident that you'll discover, you'll see, as I have, that the most personally confronting moments in this text, they're actually, they're actually the ones that carry the most soul-satisfying revelations into the loving, fearful, pure, awesome character of the one true God. But we've got to do the hard work. And we've got to walk towards what we think might be pain. So there's some confronting truths we're going to see in the book of Joshua in the next few weeks. Some of the things that will help us get through that is not only walking together through them and trusting in God's goodness and his love and his mercy and his right and true, but it's also just holding on and seeing what are the key themes that are binding it all together. What are some of those key themes? Well, one is Joshua is a book about obedience to God and what the result of faithful obedience is when you get it right. And that is to encourage us that we, as we look to following God's divine guidance, that there is a right and best path for us to be on in life. Some of the key themes is Joshua is a book is a book about the leadership of God, the current present power of our leadership that we have access to today. And that's to encourage us that we who are a people who are led by the goodness, we get to be people who are led by the goodness of God and not the ignorance plans of man. Another theme is that Joshua is a book about the future of God's people. Joshua is a compelling book of the future hope, the future eschatological hope, for those of you that like that word, 
that we have in Jesus. And that is to encourage us that we're a people who can have hope and can still look forward to a great victory that is still to come. Joshua is also a book about God's faithfulness to his people, his mercy on those who fear and respect him, his promises fulfilled just as he said they would be. And that is to encourage us that we are a people who live and walk by faith. We live on promises, not always on explanations. And another key theme is that Joshua is a book about God's people as seen in their corporate identity. That God actually has a corporate communal view of sin and holiness. And that is to encourage us that we are a people who are a people that a real commitment to God is expressed in real intentional commitment to a community. C.S. Lewis writes, the key to experiencing God's faithfulness is to trust him completely, even when we don't understand his plans. But more on that in weeks to come. So there's a brief flyover of the book of Joshua. The story's context, its characters, its shape, some of the confronting truths and the key themes we're going to see over the next few weeks. The last thing I want to leave us with is how are we going to engage and read the book of Joshua well? And I'll give you just one simple tool that we're going to workshop with the actual text itself that we've read today. How do we read Joshua well? This is really important if you're the one that is tied in life, if you need direction, if you want to know if you can trust this epic account. Reading Joshua well. Well, it comes back to remembering those four characters. Remembering those four characters. Remember who they were? Joshua, God, those that are God's people, those that aren't God's people. Now, as you look into this book and read it through over the coming weeks, I want to encourage you to make two exchanges. I would encourage you that as you read, the first exchange is instead of identifying yourself with Joshua, put yourself in the shoes of either one of God's people or not one of God's people and see how that changes the way you read the text. And because you're not substituting yourself into Joshua's place, I want you to introduce Jesus into Joshua's place. Let's see how that plays out. Joshua 1, what did we read this morning? Verse 1, we'll skip to verse 8. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. We're in verse 8 now. And you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all it is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your your God is with you wherever you go. 
Now, what is our immediate temptation when we read that book? I know my immediate temptation. God says to me, be strong and courageous. It's inspiring, right? There's a lot you can glean from applying the text to yourself when you read that command, isn't there? Be strong and courageous. Like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's inspiring. That gets me going, man. Like, yeah, that's what I need to face today. That's going to give me a lift. That's a great mantra. And sure, we can apply it that way. That's good. You know, that's, that's, that's not wrong. Christ who lives with us, Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, he's given you his Holy Spirit. He's at work and he's in you. You can be strong and courageous. But here's a problem. Any great life coach, any personal trainer, any inspiring boss and well-intentioned friend can say to you, be strong and courageous. Just be strong and courageous. Life's hard, just be strong and courageous. Life's tough, just be strong and courageous. Yeah, just be strong and courageous. Yeah, be strong and courageous. And that's fine. Until you get to Monday. Until your kids start playing up. Until your boss is unethical. Until your plans fail, until you get to the end of yourself and you're, and you're reminded that you don't always feel like being strong and courageous. You've been there? I've been there. What happens to the motivating mantra, which just becomes a burden? becomes another thing that you fail at. I can't be strong and courageous. Everyone else is telling me to be strong and courageous. Instagram told me to be strong and courageous. The Bible told me to be strong and courageous. Not feeling very strong and courageous. It's just burdensome. What, like, what do you do with that? You know, we sort of milked it for what it got. It's not, not really working for me anymore. Well, what if we take those two exchanges, the way to engage in the book of Joshua? What if we put ourselves in the place of God's people, if you're a Christian here today? And what if you put Jesus in the place of Joshua? You see, be strong and courageous in these, in these verses. God is addressing who? He's speaking to Joshua. He's speaking to Jesus. And so the people of God, who is their confidence in? Is their confidence in themselves? No, it doesn't have to be. Their confidence is in their leader. Their confidence is in their warrior. Their confidence is in their advocate. Their confidence is in their champion, Joshua. And look, if you are a people and you are being led by a leader, if you have someone fighting on your behalf and leading you out of a wilderness and into a promised land where there's still enemies to overcome, Do you want your representative to be defined by weakness and timidity? No. I want that man to have God personally said to him, be strong and courageous and I will be with you. See, the difference of the difference between when you apply strong and courageous outside of us, when you apply it first to Jesus, this this is, this is better. This is the gospel application. This is, this is freeing. It means that when we have a problem, our first port of call isn't, I need to fix this. It is, I have an external source of wisdom. It means that when, when you feel weak, your first reaction doesn't have to be despondency because you can't do anything. It is, I have someone who is strong that can fight for me. 
It means that when you feel that your whole world is chaotically imploding and you have nowhere to go because you can't be strong and courageous, there is an advocate and someone beside you who is and who will. And who does Joshua represent in the book of Joshua? I haven't told you this part yet. Hopefully you already know. He represents Jesus. You see, that it's, and, and this is the most obvious God, I see what you did there in like the whole of the Old Testament, right? Like jo- Joshua, you take the Greek translation and it's Yeshua, which in the Greek is Jesus. Like literally, it's like Jesus. It's just like, God's just like, guys, I want you to make this connection. How, how can I make this obvious? for them? I'll just give him the same name. I'll just give him the same main name, which, which means for the person that has entrusted their life to Jesus, to the one that is following his lead, to, if you are seeking to obey his command, if you are committed to his rescue and his direction, you don't have to feel weak, alone, hopeless, helpless, or in despair. You don't have to stay there because you have a leader. You have a Joshua. You have Jesus. You have a refuge. You don't have to muster up your own strength and courage. You can run to him. You can be joined to the one who is the spring of life and forgiveness and freedom and peace. And now what should that remind us of? Is this, is this logic consistent with anything that we already know? This logic is consistent with the gospel, isn't it? How does the Christian life start? Is it God comes to the world and says, you suck, be strong and courageous, and then you can be in my family? No. The beautiful message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is, yes, we all suck and we all have this. We're all burdened by sin and we're all stuck in this cage. And it's not be strong and courageous and you'll find your way out. It's Jesus is like, I'll be strong and courageous on your behalf and I'll pull you out. I'll save you. I'll fix you. I'll change you from the inside out. I'll give you a new life. I'll give you a new spirit. I am strong, courageous, so you don't have to be. But because I am strong and courageous, you still can be. We need to run to the one who is infinitely more strong, stronger and courageous than we will ever be because he, in his strength and his courage, overcame death on a cross. You want to see strength? That's strength. You want to see courage? Look at the one who goes to face the punishment in our place for all the sin that we've ever committed, to face the wrath of God. That's courage. Who would overcome sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane and still carry that thing on his back and go and die in your place to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we wouldn't have to? That's courage. Do you want someone to fight for you like that? Or do you want to muster up your own strength? I know which one I'm going for. I'm weak. I need help. I need as much help as I can get. Joshua, he's a pretty inspiring dude. It's okay to have a man crush on Joshua. Would you like someone like him to fight for you and lead you? Jesus is the new and better Joshua. Input the name Jesus into this book whenever you see the name Joshua. Jesus is better 
in leadership. Joshua led the Israelites to the promised land. Jesus leads believers into the eternal life. Joshua protected the Israelites from their enemies. Jesus is better. He protects his followers from the attacks of the enemy. Jesus is better than Joshua in being used by God as well. See, Joshua received the spirit to lead the Israelites. Jesus is better in that he received the Holy Spirit to empower him for his entire mission on the earth. Jesus is better in giving to those who need hope. See, Joshua fulfilled God's promise to give the Israelites the land of Canaan. Jesus fulfilled God's promise of salvation for all people. Jesus is better at providing new beginnings. Yeah, sure, Joshua, you brought a new beginning for the Israelites. They followed you into the promised land. Jesus, he offers eternal new beginnings to those that would follow him and rethink and reorder their life around him. Jesus is better than Joshua in fighting for his people. Joshua brought victory to the Israelites in physical battle. Jesus brings victory to us in our spiritual battle. Jesus is better than Joshua in leading people in obedience to what God says is good. See, Joshua was known for his obedience to God's commands, but Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of the Father and set an example for us to follow. Jesus establishes God's rule inside the hearts of his people. Joshua should point you to Jesus. It would be quite okay for on our signs to just have the name Jesus, strong and courageous. And as a church, our identity is like, yeah, we're with him. That gives us strength. That gives us courage. So I want you, as you read through the book of Joshua in the coming weeks, replace the name Joshua with the name Jesus. And whatever good you see there, it'll be better in Jesus. And then just revel in God's appointed leadership for your life. Like, damn, that's good. Yes. Like, but more on that to come. So I was, I'm not going to preach the sermon in two weeks' time. So what then is an appropriate response for us today as we've sought to whet our appetite for this epic, insightful, inspiring account of God's people back then for God's people today? Well, I'm compelled today to ask us to respond in a similar way that the people of God responded in this first chapter. We read in this chapter that it's not only the charge from God to from from God to his to Joshua that there was there was also a charge to the people of God wasn't there. There was a moment where there was a call onto the community on God's community of his people for them to posture their hearts, mind and will at the start of their journey with their leader, because that's where they are right now. They're on the edge of the wilderness, about to go into the promised land. They don't know what's ahead of them. It's a bit scary. We don't know what's going on, but you know what? We have confidence in our Joshua, in our Jesus, in our leader. 
It says in verse 16, they respond, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we have obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. So I think it's significant that God's people, they not only respond in the unseen places of their heart and their mind and their soul, but they also respond with their physical stance and their voice. And I sense that there's a call to many of us today who would desire to start this year in a similar way by boldly making a stand with our new and better Joshua, Jesus. So I just want to ask you today, if you're willing, if you want to stand up and say, yeah, Jesus, I'm committing myself to you just as God's people did to Joshua back then. I say to you today, if you're willing and able if you want to posture your stance next to your heart, mind, and soul, then stand with me and say, Jesus, whatever you've got ahead for us, I'm glad that you're going to be strong and courageous. So I invite you, if you'd like to stand and you're willing and able, you can do that now. There's no pressure. There's no coercion. Just if you'd like a, a physical way for your legs to line up with your heart, then stand with me. Thank you. There was a moment that we just read about in this book. Historical moment. God's people stood and they knew they stood with the leadership of God's appointed leader. His name was Joshua. They stood together and they said, we're with you. We trust you. Let's go. So I'd encourage you in this moment, just have a look to your left and to your right and also see you're not the only one standing that you stand as a people, you stand as a family, you stand as an army. It's a special thing. It's a special thing. So I'm going to lead us now just in a short prayer. I'd encourage you to, to uh, repeat the words back after me and we can respond with our voices as well as our feet. Heavenly Father, We stand here today. We trust you. We're with you. And whatever it takes, we will go. We confess our weakness, but we trust in your strength. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your love. We know that this way of life is against the grain of society. But you who are in us is greater than he who is in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Church, however you'd like to respond, we're just going to have a moment. We're just going to have our live band play just to give you a time to reflect. And uh, I'm going to prepare just for a time of sharing the Lord's Supper together in the promises that Jesus has for us. So I'm just going to play a song. And just let that be a time for you to pray. Maybe you, you sing with your heart. Whatever posture is helpful for you, sitting down, on a knee, standing up, it's totally fine. But just let this next moment be a time where you just go, you know what, thank you, Jesus, and I'm ready. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.